This is a Saddleback Church podcast. We have been in this series on praying for a breakthrough, and uh, who couldn't use a breakthrough? Who couldn't use getting out of a place where I've been stuck into a place of freedom? Who couldn't use moving from a place where I really don't want to be to a place where I've always wanted to be? That's the kind of breakthrough we've been talking about. And we've been reminding ourselves all through this series that prayer is not what causes the breakthrough. Now, I know it's called praying for a breakthrough, but prayer actually is not what causes the breakthrough. The only one who can cause a breakthrough in your life is God. God is the one who causes the breakthrough, the God of the universe. It's good to remind ourselves that prayer is what connects us to the power, connects us to God. Prayer is not the power. Prayer is plugging into the power. God is the power. And that, that, that is really good news for a lot of us because if you're not careful, if you start to think that prayer itself is the power, you think, well, if I could just pray more powerful prayers, then my prayers would get answered and I'd have the breakthrough. But the problem is most of us, our prayers don't sound that powerful. I mean, there's a few people out there, their voice is like as deep as the Grand Canyon. And they always pray in a Scottish or English accent. I don't know if you've noticed this. And it sounds like when they're praying, like, wow, the God of heaven has come down. But you feel like, I must sound like Mickey Mouse to God when I pray, when you hear these people pray. So it's not how powerful your prayers are, it's how powerful God is. It's connecting with the God of power. That is good news. And for these first two weeks in this series, we've talked about how to have a personal breakthrough in your own life, some change that you've been desiring in your life, hoping to God that his power will show up in that place in your life. We've talked about how to pray for a relational breakthrough. If you missed either of those messages, I encourage you to go and listen to Pastor Andy sharing those messages. This week, we're going to talk about praying for missional breakthrough. Now, I know we use the word mission in a certain way in church, but I didn't grow up in church. So when I grew up, the word mission was all about going to space. It was about the Mercury mission and the Gemini missions and the Apollo missions. And all, behind it all was mission control. And when you went to Disneyland, you, you went to mission to the moon and mission to Mars. So with that idea of mission in mind, here's my question to start this message to you. What is the, the moonshot, the mission to Mars, life mission that God has for your life? The above and beyond anything you could have imagined, the way over the top life mission that God has for you. Well, the Bible actually describes what that mission is for each of us. And in some ways it's the same. In many ways it's different, but it begins the same. The Bible tells us that God's greatest mission for your life is joining Jesus in his mission. That's God's greatest mission for your life. What's Jesus' mission? Jesus' mission is a mission to let people know that they're loved, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, that they are loved. It's a mission to let people know that he offers forgiveness. We don't have to live in guilt and shame. We can live in a place of grace and peace the rest of our lives. What's his mission? It's a mission to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's a mission to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a mission to know that you can live a life of meaning, and significance and purpose. And he offers that to, to every one of us. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, if you're just considering this, or maybe a friend sort of roped you into coming to church today, I want to let you know that is the mission that he is calling you to. That's the mission that he's calling all of us to. 
Here's, here's what a follower of Jesus, a famous follower of Jesus by the name of Paul, said about this kind of mission. In Acts 20, 24, he said, I don't care about my own life. The most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me, to tell people the good news about God's grace, to tell people the good news. There's a lot of different directions that joining Jesus in his mission is going to take us, different people that you're going to serve, different places that we'll serve based on our gifts and passions and abilities. But part of it for all of us is telling the good news. It's not like, well, some people serve other people and some people tell. And I'll be a servant person and other people can be the telling people. You read through the Bible, part of the mission for every one of us is to tell. To tell the good news that God is a God of grace. So now you see, when I say that, now you see why we need to pray for a breakthrough. Because for a lot of us, when I talk about telling other people the good news, it's sort of like a root canal. I mean, let's just be honest. You know you need it, but it sounds really uncomfortable, sounds really painful, and you've been through this in your life. And so we struggle with telling sometimes. And I, I know, we just went through this series on one life about telling other people. And there's, there's many of you who feel like, I'm glad I got through that. We're on the other side of that. Don't have to think about that anymore. And here I am bringing it up again just a few weeks later. It's just not right. Can we go on to something different? Because it's, it's uncomfortable for many of us to think about telling. I, I've, I've been in church for a long time. And if, if you've been in church for a while, you, you're going to relate to what I'm saying right now because you've seen the same thing. When it comes to telling the good news, there's, there's about three different kinds of people in church. First, there's people, they just love to tell. Now, the truth is, they've got a sales personality most of the time. They love to tell anything and everything. They love to sell anything. So when it comes to the good news that God loves us, that he wants to forgive us, of course they're going to tell anybody and everybody. But, and I'm sorry, salespeople, if that's you, it comes across a little salesy, because guess what? That's their personality. But because they're the only people telling sometimes, it feels like it's about making a sale sometimes more than having a conversation to a lot of people. There's, there's, there's that group of people. And then there's another group of people, they, um, they know they're supposed to tell. So out of, out of obligation, out of duty, they go and they tell somebody, and that's exactly how it feels. You're doing this out of obligation. You're doing this because you have to. If you're not yet following Jesus, you may have had some of these conversations with people, and they're the most uncomfortable, right, conversations in the world. It's like, I know they were trying to say something important, but they were stumbling and they couldn't get through it. And it felt like, okay, here's my friend and I'm talking to them. And all of a sudden they start talking about Jesus and it's an alien talking to me right now. Who is this person? Because they're having a hard time getting through it. So there's that group of people. And then there's a third group of people. This is the biggest group of people. They've just given up on telling. Maybe because they were in the second group for a while and that didn't work very well. And they're not a salesperson. So they've just, they've just given up on it. So here's my question, as we talk about praying for a breakthrough, what if God really could bring a breakthrough? What if we could just have natural human conversations about a grace from God that's changed everything? And just talk to our friends and our family about it, have a conversation about it. What if God could lead us to people who want to hear that conversation, to have that conversation? Well, I want in the next few minutes in this message, I want to talk to you about a different way to pray for this breakthrough than maybe you've ever prayed before. It's certainly a way of prayer that I need a lot more of in my life. 
Now, it does start with prayer. If you're going to pray for a breakthrough in this mission to let other people know there's good news that God loves them, it starts with prayer. Paul knew that. He, he loved to tell the good news, but he also often asked other people to pray for him as he told the good news. One of the places is here in your outline, Ephesians 6, 19, pray for me too, he says, and ask God to give me the right words as I boldly tell others about the Lord and as I explain to them that his salvation is for the Gentiles too. Now, I, I got to tell you, haven't, haven't spoken on telling many, many times in my life, it would be very easy for me to talk about the specific practical steps. It'd be easy for me to do a message on how to be bold in the telling, even to do an acrostic, B-O-L-D, believe and obey and listen and depend, do those four things. I could do that in my sleep, but the truth is there's something that comes first. We're going to get to the practical steps for a few minutes at the end, but there's something that comes before that. Here's the big idea in this message. The real breakthrough comes in our mission, not when we understand the plan of God, but when we connect with the heart of God. When you really connect with the heart of God, that creates something different in you. That creates something different relationally. That creates a different connection that can promise a real breakthrough. And you can see God's heart for people you can see God's heart for this mission. It's all through the Bible. We could do a week-long seminar all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, how you see again and again and again God expressing his heart for hurting people, God expressing his grief when people are turning their back on him, God expressing his heart for people who are turning to him. It's again and again and again. But I'd like to, instead of doing that whole week-long seminar with you right now, I'd like to turn to just one chapter in the Bible, one of my favorite chapters. It's a chapter where Jesus tells three stories. Three stories that show the heart of God for this mission. In these stories, we find some ways that you and I can pray, maybe in a different way, that connect us with the heart of God. These are stories about a lost sheep that's found, and a lost coin that's found, and a lost son that's found. And when, when you look at the lost in this story and the found in this story, you and I find some ways to pray that connect, connect us with the heart of God. So let, let, let's see how you and I can pray. First, first, if you want to connect with God's heart for this mission, you pray, Father, give me your heart for what is lost. Father, give me your heart for what's lost. Now, I, I hope, and along with you, as you're writing that in your outline, I want to invite you also to actually pray that prayer. Not, let's, let's not just talk about praying the prayer. Pray it right now in your mind. Just say in your mind, Father, give me your heart for what's lost. We have, we have lost our connection with our Creator. We've lost peace and we've lost purpose and we've lost meaning in our lives. Now, what, is, what does this mean? Like, lost can sound like a very churchy word. What does it mean to be lost? It means that you know something's missing in your life. And you don't know where to find it. You might have thought you knew where to find it. I'm going to find it in making money and using it in the right way. And you, you didn't find it there. You tried. And maybe you made a lot of money. Maybe you didn't succeed in making a lot of money. Either side, you know, something's still missing in my life. Or maybe you thought you'd find it in living an, an admirable life. And maybe you succeeded and you're living a very admirable life. Maybe you failed at that miserably. But on either side of that, you still feel something is still missing in my life. As Jesus tells these stories, 
He helps us to connect with God's heart for what's lost. God's heart for this, this inner cry that we have, something is missing in my life. And as you look through these stories of the sheep and the coin and the son, they, they help us to see what will happen in our hearts when we connect with God's heart. When you look at the story of the sheep, you see that when I connect with God's heart for what's lost, I'm going to see the priority. I'm going to see the importance of what is lost. In this story, Luke 15, 4, Jesus says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? It's not that the 99 sheep aren't important. They're extremely important. But because that one is lost, it becomes most important. It becomes the priority in that moment. And so the shepherd goes out to find that one sheep. That's what happens when I connect with God's heart. I see the importance of it. When you look at the story of the coin, you see a second thing. You see that when I connect with God's heart for what's lost, I will see the value of what's lost. Jesus says in Luke 15, 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? She's missing just one. I have, uh, I have 10 silver coins here, 10 Franklin half dollars from the 1950s. They're, they're almost entirely silver, which means they're worth 10 times as much if you melted them down as, as the 50 cents you could spend on them. And there's value in these. Now, I wanted to bring the 100 sheep up on stage as the illustration, but they wouldn't let me do that. We didn't have the budget for that, so I, I got the coins. That's what I got for today. I did, I did get, we could afford, I've got a picture of a sheep for you. So, so this picture, I mean, that's an awe picture. What shepherd wouldn't go and look for that sheep? My problem is, I don't look like that sheep. Maybe you can join me. A lot of us, we look like, we, we look like this sheep. That's how we look. I mean, that's, that's the truth of the matter is. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. God cares about that sheep. He cares about you however you look. Whatever ugliness you see inside yourself that nobody else sees, he cares about you. You are important to him. He values you. You see the value of what's lost. These 10 coins, they have some value, but they have greater value to me because my grandfather gave them to me. So I've had them for years and years and years. They remind me of him. So if I counted these coins when I was leaving today and there was only nine coins, I'd search this whole place, I'd search this whole stage, this whole building, I'd search all outside to find the one that was lost. Because I value that one that was lost. It's not okay that it's lost because I value the one that's lost. I'll see the priority. That's what happens when I connect with God's heart. I'll see the value. But then the third thing will happen. When you connect with God's heart for this feeling, this sense that something's missing in my life, for what's lost, the third thing that'll happen is it'll break my heart. It will break my heart, like it breaks the heart of God. You see that in the third story, the story of the son. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. And so the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So the father has a son who begins to see the dad as just a meal ticket, as just money, as just an inheritance. 
And he's saying to him, basically, I'm just waiting until you die so I can get the money. So can I just get the money now? I don't want to be around you. I want to go do my own thing. And it, it just in your mind's eye, you can picture this father standing there watching this son walk away. Watching all the dreams that he had for the relationship they would have, for the way they would be together in the family business, for watching his son grow up, get married, have kids maybe. He's watching all those dreams walk away. If you can imagine the broken heart of that father watching his son walk away, then you start to connect with what we're talking about, what it means to connect with the heart of God. Jesus shows us the heart of God for what's lost. We're celebrating Palm Sunday this weekend, and most of us know that Palm Sunday is when they waved the palm branches as a sign that they were celebrating Jesus as the king. So as he's entering towards Jerusalem, they're waving these branches. And then Jesus, he's up on the Mount of Olives, which is a little above the city of Jerusalem. He can look down on it, and he's coming through. They're waving the palm branches. He's heading toward the city. But then something else happens on Palm Sunday, something we don't usually talk about. After they wave the palm branches as they're heading toward the entrance of the city, the disciples look at Jesus and they're thrilled. I mean, this is a big day for them. They're celebrating Jesus. They tell, tell him that he's the king and they're thinking, what does this mean for us? This is just awesome, Jesus. This is the best celebration ever. And they look at Jesus and Jesus is weeping in sadness. Look at this verse up on the screen. But as they came closer to Jerusalem and Jesus saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. This, the city of Jerusalem was the center of faith for Jesus and his people. And Jesus had been to this city since childhood for Passover celebrations, other celebrations. And he's coming into it, he knows, one last time before he dies on the cross. And he sees the city stretched out before him and he senses this moment of loss. If only you could experience the peace that I have to give to you. I'll never forget an experience I had a number of years ago. I think about it every Christmas, every Easter as we think about asking people to come to church, having God's heart for that. I was praying, as we often do with somebody after the service, and they asked me if I'd pray for their, their son and their husband. They said, I have God's peace in my life. I have, a, because of God's peace, I have a sense of meaning in my life, but my husband doesn't, and my, my son doesn't, and I wanted it so much for them, just like Jesus wanted peace so much for Jerusalem. And so she said, would you pray for my husband and son? And I said, of course I will. So we, we held hands and I started to pray, but as I was praying, she started to weep, and her tears started to splash on our hands. You guys, I don't, I don't think I'll ever forget those tears. This one person who had a heart for someone she loved, someone she valued, that had not found what was missing in their lives. That's what we're talking about when we talk about praying to have God's heart for what's lost. We're saying, you just pray, God, give me your heart for what is lost. So, just a reality check here for a moment, because this is heavy stuff. 
And I think when you start to look at this, you think, I want that. But on the other hand, you start to think, that's a lot. I mean, I, I got enough just being concerned for what's going on in my own life. I don't mean to be selfish. I'm just overwhelmed by what's going on in my own life. I'm overwhelmed with what's going on in my own family. And now you're saying, open up your heart and let the whole world in? I don't think I could, I don't think I could do that. And if you're feeling that way, I want to applaud your emotional intelligence. Because really, it is too much. How could we take all that in? So here's the breakthrough. The breakthrough is instead of you working up emotional energy on your own strength to care for what's lost, what you're asking for is, God, would you pour your heart into me so it could pour out to me, to all those around me that I care about? That's what I'm praying for. So instead of you working it up from within, you're asking God to pour it into you and pour it out from you. That is the breakthrough moment. That's when everything changes. Because God knows who needs to hear. God knows who needs to be noticed. God knows who needs to know about his love today. And he wants to use you in that telling. And that's how it happens. That's how it happens. God, help me to connect with your heart for a broken world. Now, lost, that's not the end of the story. Found is the end of the story. Jesus told three stories about how the lost became found. So there is a second breakthrough prayer that we pray. The second prayer is this, Father, give me your joy for what's found. Give me your joy for what is found. These stories are often called the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, which totally misses the point. These are the stories of the lost sheep that was found, the lost coin that was found, the lost son that was found. They're not stories about being lost. They're stories about being found and the incredible joy that happens when something is found. And we can all relate to that. I mean, every family has a story, a story about something that was lost and was found. It may have been lost for a day or a week or a year, but it was lost and found usually in some crazy place. <laughs> and when it's found, everybody rejoices. When it's found, there's this joy in everybody's heart. Everybody's leaping up and down because I found it. And this, this experience of, of lost to found, it's an experience that's common to all of us. Let's say, let's just pretend that you've lost your keys. I know that never happens to any of us, but let's, let's pretend you've lost your keys. The experience we go through is the same. You lose your keys, and first you think, I know where they are. You know right where they are. So you go there, they're not there. So then you start to search for your keys. And when you start to search for your keys, you can see them everywhere. You see them in dozens of places. Well, they could be here. They could be here. One time they were here. Once they're not where you thought they were, you can see them everywhere. You start to search everywhere. They're not there. So then you involve other people. You say, have you seen my keys? Have you seen my keys? Because in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you moved my keys. I know you moved my keys. Because I knew where my keys were, so you moved my keys. You don't, you don't really tell, tell them, blame them, but that's what's in the back of your mind. So you keep looking for your keys, and eventually you start feeling like, I'm never going to find my keys. This happens in about 10 minutes, by the way. I am never going to find my keys. And you give up. You start to think about, where am I going to buy a new key? What, what, what am I gonna, where am I going to borrow a car? Because I can't start my car now. I don't have an extra key. All these things are in your mind. And while you're thinking this, you remember, you remember that bite of ice cream you had to have when you came in from the car. And you go and you look, and there's your keys on the top of the refrigerator, right where you left them. 
That's the common experience of searching for keys. But it's more than that. It's the common experience of life, of who we are. Because there's something missing in every one of us. And when we see that there is something missing in our heart, there's something lost in our heart, we go through this same experience. First we think, I know where to find it. So we go and we look to find it there. It might be in being popular, it might be in having enough things, it might be in doing good things. We go to look to find it there and it's not there. We still feel that there's something missing inside. So then you start to look everywhere. You can see it a hundred places. Oftentimes you see it, people see it in the exact opposite places, and I understand that. We don't know where it is, so we're just looking to find it. You might start to blame other people. Well, maybe it's their fault that I can't find it. And eventually you start to feel like, I, I just got to give up. Nobody can really find it. I, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to find it. But then you remember that there is a God in heaven who loves you. You remember that he showed you his love by sending Jesus to this earth. And Jesus spread out his arms and died on a cross to show us his love. He was resurrected from the dead to show us his power and love. And you connect with him in love and you experience those words, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm, I was blind, but now I see. That, that's the experience of connecting with the joy for what's found. Real breakthrough comes when I connect with God's outrageous joy for what is found when somebody comes home to his love. And Jesus repeats that again and again and again in these stories. I don't need to do much more than read what Jesus said in the stories to connect with this joy that he's talking about. With the sheep, he says, when he's found it, when he's found the lost sheep, he's going to joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. So you get this picture of the shepherd with the sheep on his shoulders with this joyful, happy grin on his face because he found the sheep. And when he arrives, he's going to call together his friends and his neighbors. And he's going to say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than, than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, Jesus happened to be telling these stories to some self-righteous people who felt like they'd figured out a relationship with God all by themselves, who were pretending they were found, even though deep inside they knew they weren't found. And Jesus is saying here, here's the truth of the matter. God's coming for those who know that there's something lost inside of them, there's something missing inside of them. If you have to pretend you're found, then you're not the one that God is coming for. He's coming for those who know that there's something missing and are able to say, admit to themselves there's something missing. And he says, when you do that, there's more joy in heaven over one person who does that than over all these other people who pretend everything's okay. And he says, over one person, one lost sinner, one person who admits the wrong in their life, who repents and returns. Repent just means to, to turn around. It literally means a spiritual U-turn. And when that happens, he says, all of heaven rejoices. That's how joyful this is. Same thing with the coin. Same story of joy. When she finds it, she'll call her friends and neighbors. You want to tell everybody when this happens. And she'll say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. And in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So you, you, get, you get this picture of, of all of heaven rejoicing when just one person says, I, I turn to you, God. I turn to you for the forgiveness and the grace that you can give. That's what happened for many of you. 
All of heaven started rejoicing the moment you turned to him. You may not feel that every day, but God has that kind of joy towards you every day. That's how he feels about you right now, today. All of heaven is rejoicing for you right now, today. Whatever's going on in your life circumstantially, whatever struggles you're going through, whatever's not working, whatever mistakes you've made, all of heaven is rejoicing because you've turned to him. And if you haven't yet turned to him, all of heaven will rejoice for you. That's the outrageous joy that we're talking about. That's how, that's how great this joy is. You see it, I think, the most clearly in the last story, the story of the prodigal son. When you look at this story and the son returning home, look at what happens. So he returned home to his father. And, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. And, and his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. And get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and he's now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Just, just look at this list. It just breathes joy. You have this father who has given up on his son, but look at what happens. First, he, he sees the son in the distance. He's the first to see him. Even though he should have given up on him, he's obviously still looking for him to come back home. And then he runs to his son. People didn't run in that day. It wasn't cool to run. He didn't care. His son is home. He embraces his son. He kisses his son. He puts the finest robe on him. That is a sign of honor. He puts a ring on his finger. That's a sign of authority. He puts sandals on his feet. That's a sign of being welcomed back into the family. You're part of the family. He kills the best calf. He celebrates with a feast. And he says, this son of mine, he was lost, but now he's found. God's greatest joy is when we find what we've lost, when we find his love, and we find his grace, we find his forgiveness, we find his peace. That's his greatest joy. You may not have found that yet in your life. I'm talking about lost and found, and you're thinking, I'm not sure I've found that in my life. Well, you can find it today. Because it's not a matter of you coming to church for 15 years and checking all these boxes. Jesus already did all that's needed to be done to give you the gift of new life in him. And it's just a matter of you turning to him and saying, Jesus, I trust you instead of trusting myself. You can do that in your mind right now in prayer. Say, Jesus, I trust you for forgiveness. Instead of me making up for the wrong things I've done, I trust you to forgive me and set me free from any guilt or shame. And Jesus, I trust you for new life. You were resurrected from the grave. You can give me a new kind of life. I trust you. In that moment, the lost becomes found. So in prayer, you say, God, let me connect with the joy of that moment. I want that to become my joy. And you're saying, I'm tired of trying to find joy in all the wrong places. I'm, trying to find, I'm tired of trying to find joy in something that made me happy in the moment. But the tenth time, it didn't make me happy anymore. Aren't you tired of trying to find joy in things that just don't work anymore? This is going to last forever, this kind of joy. It begins now and lasts all the way into eternity. If you're like me, that kind of joy, praying for that kind of joy, that's a total breakthrough. That's a totally different way of thinking. So God, give me your heart for what's lost. Give me your joy in what's found. Now I want to take the last couple of minutes of this message to look at an experience from the life of Jesus where he lives out what he taught in these stories. 
It's a story from the life of Jesus of what happened when he met with a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, I, I can still remember hearing this story for the first time about Zacchaeus. I became a follower of Christ later in life, and so I didn't grow up listening and hearing a lot of the stories of the Bible. I, I can really relate to a lot of you who, it, people act like you should know things that you don't know, because you didn't grow up in church, you didn't grow up around Christian stories, and that was true for me. So the first time I heard this story, somebody gets up and says, okay, we've all heard the story about Zacchaeus. And I'm thinking, Zacchaeus? I mean, I don't know who that guy is. What are you talking about? And he says, and we all sang the little song about him when we were kids. And I didn't know any little song. Nobody sang any. I mean, I know it now. I learned it later. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. I found out, didn't miss much about the song. That was not a song that I'm really disappointed I missed. I did learn about Zacchaeus. And I learned he was a guy that Jesus met with. And in that meeting... It shows us how you and I can show the heart of God. Just some very simple things that when I connect with the heart of God, this is what's going to start to flow out of my life. How do you connect with the heart of God and what does that mean? Uh, well, so let me, let me show you, this is a spoiler alert, I'm going to show you the end of the story first because it's where what Jesus does here connects with the stories that he told earlier. He probably figured something good's going to happen in Zacchaeus' life. Jesus responds at the end of this story, Salvation has come to his home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, a man of faith. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So Jesus is living out those three stories here as he meets with Zacchaeus, as he interacts with Zacchaeus. Now, you, probably many of you haven't heard the story. It's a very simple story. Let me just tell it quickly. Zach, Jesus is walking through Jericho and everybody wants to see him. He's head, headed toward Jerusalem. He's headed towards the cross and the resurrection. It's not very long now. And he's just, as he's walking through Jericho, everybody wanting to see him, Zacchaeus wants to see him. Zacchaeus was a tax collector in Jericho, most hated person in the city. He was hated because tax collectors, the way they made their money was not just by collecting taxes, but more than their taxes so they could make extra money, but also because they did it in alliance with the Roman oppressors. So he was joining with everybody's enemy to do this. So everybody hates Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus hears about Jesus. He wants to see him. So he runs out to see Jesus too. The crowds are so big, Zacchaeus couldn't see through. And he was a shorter man. So because he was shorter and he wants to see Jesus so much, he runs ahead, he climbs a tree so he can see Jesus walking by. And look what happens. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, in this very brief moment, you see three things that happen in our hearts when we connect with God's heart. And it all has to do with how you and I relate to people. Number one, you look at people. You start to see people. You look at people. Jesus is walking through the town. There's these huge crowds. He's got a lot on his mind. There's some things coming up soon. There's a lot of people pressing in on him. But he's the one who looks up in the tree and sees the guy who's looking down at him. He notices him. Do you know how much people need to be noticed these days? It seems like we spend so much time trying to get ourselves noticed. But the greatest joy in life is in noticing other people. That their hurts and their struggles, but also their joys and their successes. Just enjoying noticing other people. That's what followers of Jesus should be known for, is noticing people. 
and what they're going through in their lives. And he, he notices, he sees Zacchaeus for who he really is. This guy in the tree, but also this guy who's interested. He sees something. So you look at people, but then you connect with people. You don't just say, oh, that looks interesting. You actually connect with people. You talk with people. Jesus looks up and he says, Zacchaeus. Now, how does he know his name? I mean, it could have been a miracle. God could have come with an angel the night before and said, Jesus, guy's going to be in a tree tomorrow. His name is Zacchaeus. Write that down. Don't forget it. But I don't think that's what happened. I think Jesus is walking by and he goes, who's the guy up in the tree? He says to somebody. And somebody says, oh, that's Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. Don't talk to him. Jesus totally ignored that. Zacchaeus, he says. He connects with him. He knows his name. You connect with people. You, you spend time enjoying with, being with people. And then you do a third thing. You invite people. You invite people into the same thing God's invited you into. Now, I love Jesus' invitation here. Jesus doesn't have a house, so he invites himself into Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. That might sound like a little prideful, but the truth is nobody else would go to Zacchaeus' house because everybody hated him. And Jesus says, I'm willing to walk in your front door, the front door nobody else will walk through. I'm inviting myself to do that. And so he goes, and you see the end of the story. Zacchaeus, the lost become found. So you invite people. You invite people into this joyful, good news life that God has to offer. That's the invitation of Easter. The invitation to understand how deeply God loves you, how deeply God wants to forgive you, how much God wants to give you a new life. We have a, at our Rancho Capistrano campus, we have an outdoor experience of a journey with Jesus, we call it. And it just walks through some of the things that Jesus did in a very simple way the last week of his life. There's these uh, mosaics that are done in tile and you just walk by and look at each of them and consider the last week of Jesus' life. If you haven't done that before, you've done it before, I encourage you strongly, you and your family, go and do that this week as part of Easter week celebration. We were there a few years ago with our family and several of our grandkids, and we're walking through, looking at each of them, and there's something to read, but they couldn't read, so they would always run ahead to the next tile every time, and they were playing and doing things. So we're getting to the top of the hill, little hill, and the next tile is gonna be the resurrection. So we're right before the resurrection, heading up that way. And, and, and one of our grandkids comes, preschool grandkids, comes running back, just shouting, come on, come on, you have to see what's next. Like we didn't know the resurrection was next. Like we were going to miss the big moment in this whole thing. And guys, that's the invitation. You have to see what's next. You have to see what's next that God has for you. I know life is a struggle many times. I know we have anxiety many times. You have to see what's next. God is offering peace to those who struggle with anxiety. God is offering new life to those of us who are tired of our old life. God is offering to fill that thing that is missing in our lives. And God is offering to do that not just for a few years till the end of our life. God's offering to do that all the way into eternity. That is what's next. You've got to see what's next. That's what we're inviting people to at Easter. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to invite someone to come to an Easter service this next week. But I also want to say the last thing in the world I'd want you to do is to do it because I just asked you to. I don't want to convince you to invite somebody to an Easter service because that's just old stuff. Somebody says I should do it and then I do it. Okay, I did the right thing. I'm praying for a breakthrough. I'm praying for a breakthrough for you and for me both. 
Instead of doing something that is a good idea to do, what if instead of that, I could really connect with the heart of God for what's lost in this world? I could connect with the heart of God for what's found in this world. And instead of me trying to do the right thing, God could pour his heart into me through his spirit and pour his heart out through me to let people know around me there is good news in this world where we so often struggle with the bad news. That's what I'm praying for, that kind of breakthrough in my life, in your life, this next week and continuing on. That's the mission. That's the missional breakthrough. There's something in me, I gotta gotta tell you, that says this is gonna be one of the most significant Easter's ever at Saddleback. Now I know it's our first year with Pastor Andy as our lead pastor and that's gonna be a wonderful thing to celebrate, but that's not why I'm saying that, as wonderful as that is. This is the Easter that we're gonna invite our friends. I just feel it. Because of what's been happening in the world these last three years, even last year, we came to Easter and we celebrated, but it was still hard to invite friends. People were still, should I be in a crowd? And I'll be in a lot of crowds, but maybe the church crowd, you know, I don't know. And so there was just this hesitation. Not this year. This is the year that we get to see what happens when we invite people to hear this good news. People need good news right now. This is going to be one of the most significant Easter's ever because the lost are going to become found. When you invite someone to an Easter service, never miss the power of that simple invitation. The the invitation you give, that has the power to change a person's life. You remember it. Somebody invited you to discover good news. It changed your life. That has the power to change a family. You remember it. It happened to many of you. It has the power to change a whole neighborhood, a whole city. That is the power of a simple invitation. God wants to use us to change history, one invitation at a time. He wants to use you to change history, someone's personal history, family history, life history, one invitation at a time this next week. So I'm praying with you for breakthrough power for that to happen. Now, this series has been about praying for a breakthrough. So I can't think of a better way to end it than by talking to God for a few minutes. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? And in prayer, let's trust him for that breakthrough together. One more time. Just say, God, I'm not trusting in my strength or ability, whether I feel like it's a lot or a little right now. I'm trusting in your power to bring personal breakthrough into my life. That thing that I need your power to see change in. I'm trusting in your power to see relational breakthrough. And God, you can do it in a moment, like a snap of a finger, or you can do it day after day, slowly but surely. I'm not telling you how to do it. I'm depending on you to do it. Help me to see you at work and to lean on what you're doing. And God, I'm praying for you to bring about breakthrough in my life mission to help me to see the significance with which you want me to live, the purpose you put into my life. And help me to see that part of that is this privilege of telling good news. So I pray for breakthrough in that in my life this week, that some conversation will happen, some opportunity will come, and I won't miss it. I'll see the person that's in front of me. I'll see the hurt that's around me. And I'll have a conversation that changes my life and changes the life of the person that I talk to. Jesus, I ask that you would do above and beyond what I can ask or imagine. 
And I ask it in your name. Amen.